0: right now it's a double up on slow horses after that it'll be the batman versus the dark knight and then we'll take a look at the lego star wars skywalker trilogy all this coming up right now on the writer brothers <laughs> And welcome to your Tuesday night home for general interests, movies, games, shows, and even books, past, present, and future. I'm your host, Petey York. I am also joined by...
1: Me, John.
0: Him, John, and of course...
1: Orion, your witch-in-residence here on YouTube.
0: Yep, yeah, uh, we decided to try to move to Tuesdays, uh, seemed to be better for everyone's schedules, um, so that's why we're here doing this now. But first of all, Coriel, we kind of missed you on the last episode, um, oh, just curious. I,
1: I do, was, uh, called away on, uh, a little bit of a, an emergency situation, but, uh, it's all sorted out now.
0: Good, good. Well, I'm, I got a question for you. Is the, uh... Is the Severance uh, finale still fresh on your head, or fresh enough to talk about it?
1: Um, yeah, it' crazy, fascinating stuff, man. I did not expect it to go down exactly that way, but it's really cool how they put that together. And now I'm, you know, with the end of a season, like a season finale, finale like that, it drives me crazy because now I got to wait, like what, almost half a what a year, I think, until the the new season starts.
0: Yeah, something like that, but uh, we we missed you that time, and uh, wanted to give you a quick minute, maybe take 10 minutes or so to quickly give us your your thoughts, since you didn't get to last time, on what you thought, and uh, we'll just let you have it for a minute.
2: If that, sure, uh... well,
1: I mean, to me, the biggest pieces of this is we finally started to see some of the the, the crazy puzzle we've been watching kind of unraveling a little bit, right? Um, you know we've got Innie's waking up. You know we we've got Marks Innie waking up in Devon's home, right? Um, and you know hugging Cobol, right? Um, you know figuring out that all the craziness that we as the audience have been seeing, uh, now playing out, and, and you know we we're, we're we're seeing you know kind of more. Heavy duty stuff. We got to see the current CEO, right? Um, you know, we found it that the the uh, Jamie was severed as well, right? But it was more of a publicity stunt than anything else. So, you know, there there there's a lot there. And now that we we've seen all the, you know, we we're starting to see a little bit more of the man behind the curtain and getting you know um and getting more and more information here um it's just it was a, a more than a little bit mind blowing right and the fact that you know things are going along and we're getting a lot like the innies are finally learning a, um, you know a lot about what the what's really going on and who the men and women behind the curtain are and then they turn off the overtime protocol or overtime contingency And they're back to their outie state, which I don't think the Audis really have much knowledge of how much the innies have figured out and what's going on. Oh, man. Um, It did not end the way I thought it was going to. And I'm super curious to see what happens now.
0: Yeah, I was I was telling I was telling John last week that and I'm just curious to see if you if you kind of agree with this or not or, or what your take is. The sheer magnitude, the size of the balls on this show to do something like that. A first season cliffhanger that is literally not that far off from the suspense of Best of Both Worlds. And I just, I I was, it was a bold play and it worked. I'm ready to see what happens next. I'm hooked for season two, so.
1: (laughs) Well, absolutely. And I mean, I, I will say this, Best of Both Worlds for Next Gen happened in the season that I think we can all agree the show really found its stride, right? Yes. It it, it took them a couple of seasons to get to the point where they could tell a story that deep and that meaningful and that important. And the fact that severance just went, you know what? We're going to go for that. We're going to go for that level of suspense. We're going to, you know, have the audience banging down the doors at Apple demanding season two early. Um, you know that takes guts to do, but they did it and they executed it flawlessly. So you know, hey, way to prove that there are amazing writers in Hollywood that deserve our money, right? That that's yeah, that's ab- the best thing I can say.
0: Absolutely. I mean it. It, it was it was a very uh, it was a very unexpected ending it was just the whole the whole episode i was like i was just just ah, i was enthralled the entire time trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what you know how how they're gonna play this out and it kept going on and on and then and then yeah it ends on a cliffhanger and i'm like i don't even know what to expect for season two and i like that some of our theories were more or less confirmed but then the rest of them they just kind of were like (laughs) see how we were leading you that way we went this way instead so, and I mean, that's really the staple of good writing is not being as, as predictable in the moment. And so I think, I think season two is, I, I don't know. I I was telling John last time, and I think this might be what happens is we're probably going to see Mark wake up as, as is any on the table. And that's where it's going to start. And it's going to kind of begin, you know, begin where the first season went. But that's, that's just my theory. So I'm curious to see what, what do you think is going to happen though with that?
1: I think you're probably pretty close to the mark, ha. Um, but <laughs> I think we might also get. I want to say I think there's a, a good chance it may start literally thirty seconds from where they left off on the the uh, the, the cliffhanger. Like just thirty seconds later, the episode the new episode starts and they just continue on that arc. And we may even see, instead of um, him being... We may not see necessarily him waking up on the table. We may see security dragging them all off to the tables. I think that can work as well. And then we could wind up with, you know, finding out more characters through the security office right or through the security team and maybe they have a different setup than everybody else as well right
0: yeah yeah absolutely but uh yeah no it was it was quite the it was quite the ending i did not see i i honestly thought we were going to get some kind of like half victory situation like we were talking about because that's typically what you do with with the first season, usually. And this is the this is the normal safe play to to write a show is your first season or your first movie, of, even if you want to do a series and you don't have the rest of the series lined up, is you're basically told, you know, just plan on be writing like you're write like you're going to be canceled. Tell your whole story that you want to tell first, maybe leave a little bit hooked. Now, granted, Apple did already sign off on a second season, so that I think is extremely telling about how the pitch must have been because either they pitched more episodes or they, uh, Apple was so impressed with the overall script and plan of season 1 and 2 that they were just like, oh yeah, it's green lit. So even then, that you know, would that necessarily be a safety net? Well, no, because if you're going into a pitch meeting and you're saying we want to tell our story over two seasons, that's a tall order. That is a very tall order to commit to because you don't know if you're going to have the audience for it and this show's definitely got an audience. I mean, it's at least got uh, us and, and the, you know, three people that listen to our opinion on it. And so, uh, it's working somewhere. They're, they're doing something right. Uh, any final thoughts for Severance, though? I mean, sorry to kind of give you a, a short paraphrase version of your thoughts, but we do have other um, topics. Yeah, I think... On.
1: I think that they're going to take maybe... I think we're going to see a new division. Um near the start of season 2 to kind of expand out the company a little bit and I think you know if we don't find out what this company does really does by like the third episode of the second season um, you know we're never going to so I think by episode 3 we're going to find out what this company actually produces what the team has been doing or is supposed to be doing
0: hmm Yeah, absolutely. John, did you want to add any quick thoughts on the Severance finale after Carrion's shared his thoughts?
3: No, I just, uh, I definitely, I, I still like the way that they did this cliffhanger because we, as far as small victories go, this was the absolute smallest victory they could end with. Like, the innies did get a little outside time. Like, they very much ended it with, like, the best possible, like, victory meant nothing to the grand scheme that they're really wrapped up in. And it leaves so much for us to want and wonder.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All good thoughts. But, uh, well, we had to double up our homework this this last week because we decided to move our days. And uh, with that... It is now time to turn our attention to the current show that we are watching, and that is Slow Horses, Episodes 4 and 5. John, why don't you take us in?
3: Oh my gosh. So we start right where we left off with the agent found decapitated, and as we realize that the complete op has gotten butchered, we find out that that was pretty much the entire intention of sending Slow Horses, the Slough House team, down there. Um, so we start, and through episode five, it's just a continued progression of Slough, the Slough Horses group trying to get together and do like the main job, which is find the missing uh, student but then at the same time have a secondary more important job of trying to uh clear their name and man was it exciting the whole time like this show really picked up from three into four and then four into five i am just tired of it ending and making me wait a week what'd you guys think
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Episode 5 is named Fiasco, and you you couldn't have come up with a better name for for the craziness that they're up to now. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's quite clear that that Slawhouse is assigned to stuff when they're going to need somebody to blame if if everything goes sideways. And, I mean, things went sideways in Episode 4 quite efficiently. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think we're starting to see kind of that they're there to be the excuse if they ever need one. The question is, like, why would they pick this specific group to do that? Unless the intention is they get to blame them and but still keep them around kind of thing. Like they are the 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 whipping horse, for lack of a better term, or the the horse that you flog even after it's dead kind of thing. ...is the only excuse I can find out for why they would keep them around at this point.
3: Yeah, I definitely got the vibe, though, that they aren't meant to be that. Like, it really feels like this second desk uh, lady is trying to prove her ability. I think she's making a gun for either first desk or, like, head of the service... And, like, that's why she orchestrated this whole thing. And then even though she thought she had it in the bag, I feel like this is her arrogance catching up to her. And because Slow House exists, she's using it to her advantage, which is why she's put the group together that she's put together. Like, she's the one dumping them in. Like, she doesn't have to save any of them, technically, but she also can't trust that they can be out on their own so like yeah. that's what she created this house for and not just her it seems like this group is universally known as the reject spot but at the same time she seems to be the one that's like oh I, I have to find a scapegoat but she wasn't prepared at all yeah. cause like we're watching her reel like all through episode 5 she is just walking herself into a bigger hole oh. So I, I don't know. It seems like they weren't meant to be entirely a Suicide Squad, but that's what they're being made out to be.
2: Yeah,
0: they—they're definitely, like I said, I think in the, in the last in our last broadcast, they are pretty much. It's interesting that they're basically using the elements of uh, certain theories, like with using the fact that MI5 actually did create a false flag situation. Um, and that's what the—that's what she's trying to use to look her, make herself look like the hero. And it's—it's it's almost like they're basically just saying out loud, like, "Oh, look at that, guys! Government intelligence agencies use people. Ooh, who would have thought? Several people have apparently thought. Um, so it's—it's it's interesting that they're just being—they're just—they they're, don't—they're just telling the story and they're being straightforward. I—I do like the. Uh, it is doing a good job of keeping me guessing. I really liked Gary Oldman's, um, demotivational speech. I thought that was the delivery on that was so, uh, it was not only so perfect, but it was just, it was the fact that Cartwright follows up and says, so that's, that's how you're trying to motivate us. Right. And he goes, I honestly don't give a shit about any of you. (laughs) It's just like trying to keep the persona alive because, but I'm starting to see why the way that he was dealing with, um, Uh, I forgot the the character's name off the top of my head. Uh, The way he's dealing with the MI5 lady is like he's—he feels he's in a position of power still, and he was, and that's especially what we saw in the latest episode, which I just happened to watch today. (laughs) And uh, and it's like they're—they're playing, they're—they're fighting, they're bickering back and forth with each other over how they they're gonna resolve this situation whereas she's like oh i've got you dead to rights and he's like well no we we're kind of in a mutually assured destruction situation here and and then you know the whole story with with the with the with the kidnapping and how that's progressed and that's just gotten crazier and crazier i mean i also got to hand it to him that (laughs) that that joke while funny but was also very true. Uh, you know what he says there's 1.8 billion Muslims in the world you're going to need a bigger van. And I was like, yes, <laughs> it's a good one. That was funny. Um but and then of course, you know, he used took advantage of that to take control of the situation. I thought that was and that was actually I did not see that I didn't see that I didn't see it coming and then I didn't see the credits roll coming either. I was I was quite taken back by the pacing of this episode it was very good. It was very straightforward and to the point this time it didn't feel like I think we definitely shifted out of the slow burn we kind of have an idea of who these guys are and now it's like okay I- I'm wondering if they're actually going to go with a very clumsy ending for this For this, and it makes me even more intrigued to read the book because I'm curious to see how much closer the book is to this show are they going to go so far as to actually make it so that by the end of this they still hate each other And that there is no team coming together moment. I mean, I don't know. Um,
1: I mean, part of me wants that ending, though. Part of me wants the ending where they're like, you know what? We work well as a team, but I don't want to hang out with any of you. You know, like, we're not going to get drinks at the end of the day. We're all going to just go home, right?
3: Yeah, Yeah, I definitely want this to become the live action archer. Style yeah. off this relationship—that would be hilarious. But with all of the uh, the spyness, like they're still doing spy things and like making moves, but just that kind of banter would be fun.
0: Well, and and that's kind of what it feels like a little bit. Now that you mention it, it's like it's kind of like a darker Archer in a lot of ways. Less emphasis on the ridiculousness and the silliness, more emphasis on the real. But we see like like Gary Oldman's character—he he just what what is his motivation at this point? Because one minute I think he does care about him, but then he does something like not only a motivational speech, but then follows it up with, no, I really don't care. And it's like, you, you still don't understand what Lamb's goals are. And that's actually pretty good because that leaves us guessing like, oh, oh, he's actually just the, he's just the angry old guy who's been through a whole lot, which is probably true, but he may also very well be that angry old guy that does not come around. That does happen in in life, where you have something, you, you have a moment with somebody that you think you're gonna get along with, and then it's like, oh yeah, we're buddies now, right? And he's like, piss off. <laughs> and so I don't know, and I'm that's what I'm enjoying about this show is it's it's taken turns and it's gone to extremes that I did not see coming, and I was I was very happy for that fact. It's an entertaining show. It's very. Well paced at this point, I think. Yeah, once you can get through the first couple episodes, it really takes off after episode three, and and yeah, four was a little bit more exposition heavy, but man, five came in swinging. So,
1: well, I, I think you needed four to make five make sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, definitely.
3: I, I felt like it's more just the pacing in general is very clearly picking up. Like the first couple episodes felt like it was lashing over like a week events and the last two four and five have been over the last like five hours if that and i think that's like really fun and also kind of brings back that like uh 24 vibe with jack bauer doing his thing like that's kind of what i'm getting as far as just the pacing of this show like i feel like it's only gonna ramp up and get worse for a time before it ends, on uh, the spies save the day and nobody knows they did kind of note.
1: Yeah, I'm still kind of hoping for it. They wind up saving the day purely by accident. <laughs> so nobody can really take credit for it, but the mm-hmm. day is saved. And they've just kind of be, you know, like. The, the glory hogs in the in the unit have no way of getting anything out of this and they're just they kind of throw their hands up like yeah yeah we saved the day whatever and go back to brooding and being annoyed yeah, yeah it,
3: and they're it, gonna do it in such a way that they don't earn any passage up exactly like, it just kind of hardens their position at Slough house
0: yeah, it's it's probably going to be like one of those, oh, yeah, we saved the day and we're not going to jail, but we're still in, we're still in Slough House. And and that's, yeah, I, I definitely could see that being the end result. And what I like about that, too, is e- even theorizing yeah. that it doesn't even necessarily ruin the ending because we still don't know how this is going to end. Um, Great. Right.
3: I, I just thought of the funniest thing that could be Gary Oldman's speech at the very end. this is why we don't work. You now go to your desk and sit there until five thirty,
2: and go home. <laughs>
0: yeah. credits roll, season over. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that could definitely see that. Just, just, just kind of like that. You know, that scene from Avengers where they're all you know sitting around the table eating, looking at each other, and and Gary Oldman just just says a line like, but "I told you guys not to work," and and then that's yeah, that's the show right there. Oh man, that would be, yeah, that could definitely happen or something like that. It's. It's like I said. The show's growing on me. Some of the characters are growing on me. I think the uh, the more um, timid agent, who's already willing to sell out Lamb, he's he's probably going to be one of those that is, as Karyon says, is like, yeah, we we work together, but that's it. We're not we're not going out for beers just because just because us in the in the division are friends doesn't mean everybody's friends. And uh, I mean that's that's very true to real life, and that happens. And yeah, it sucks being left out, but. At the same time, you don't want to, you really don't want to try and hang out with people who don't want to hang out with you anyway. I, I've had to learn that one the hard way, and I'm now content to just live my life happily with whatever friends want to be around me, and those who don't, okay. So I'm not hurt by it. I, I get it. I, I'm i I'm an acquired taste for, like, two people in the entire world, and that's fine. Uh, um, oh, wait, you guys too, so that's like two and a half. Um
1: <laughs> Well, in, in theory, your wife as well, but, you
0: know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, God have mercy on her soul for putting up with me. Um, otherwise, any final thoughts for uh, for for Slow Horses? I mean, I know we're kind of breezing through it a little bit, but uh, I think I have a feeling our next segment is probably going to be taking up the bulk of our time tonight.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um... As for Slow slow Horses and slow House, I'm just excited to keep seeing where this is going. Like, I feel like it's a very... Like, every episode ends not necessarily on a cliffhanger, but definitely leaving me wanting more. And that's what I'm really starting to notice about Apple. Like, I feel like they caught on to the binge formula and then just put it on that week-to-week basis because whether you can or can't binge it... You're gonna want to watch it. Yeah, and keep watching,
0: and I'll follow up too. You make a you make an interesting point referencing twenty four. Twenty four is actually one of the shows that contributed to our current uh, style. This style of storytelling, this continuous every every. And granted, that was more extreme and zeroed in on every hour of the day, but that's the type of of that's where we're at now. Though, like we have shows that are serialized more and more in depth. Like, you can't you can't really watch a show without watching the whole show. And I think it works for a lot of the formula. I do think, though, there is a, a place for the half-serialized, half-episodic. That's kind of what Star Trek Deep Space Nine was. And I think it would be nice to kind of be able to get back to that because what I like about DS9 is that I can reference a couple of episodes that are standalone, and you can go watch them, and you don't necessarily have to commit to the whole series right away. I mean, eventually you might, because it's good. However, it is nice and refreshing to have a show that's like... Because because I've was thinking, i been thinking about it a lot lately, as, as shows become more serialized, and they're basically like 10-hour movies now. And I'm going, I kind of miss the simplicity of of picking a show to watch and being able to not worry about whether or not I have to commit to the rest of it. <laughs> And so with it, with shows like this and with Severance, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll probably watch them again years later, but they're not going to be like, oh, I'm just going to see what's on the television. It's like, oh, wow, Slow Horses, Severance, 24, these are great shows if I need to be laid up in bed for a long period of time, which, but don't get me wrong. and don't misunderstand. It's good to have them. I'm not saying they're bad and I'm not saying it's wrong to do this type of storytelling. I just think it, it's going to get to a point where we may see a shift back towards more episodic storytelling. And I kind of would like it for the variety, too. So then I could feel like, okay, I'm enjoying a show not just because it's it's on and it's the trending thing, but I can also decide to pace myself when I want. That's, that's why me personally, and this only applies to myself, I don't binge watch often, if ever, for the simple fact that I like to enjoy the ride. Which is why I'm glad to do this, which is the whole reason we do the show. So we can enjoy the ride and talk about
2: it. Hmm.
0: But, uh...
1: Yeah, when when I'm watching a show, um, it depends on what I'm watching it for. If I'm watching it for fun, I'll just watch the show, like, maybe an episode or two, and then I'll take a break. I'll go do something. I'll watch another episode or whatever. When I'm watching a show critically, I have to, like, re-watch the episode, like, two or three times and take notes and see what I missed throughout and, and really pay attention to detail. So, for me, if I'm watching something like this, it's a lot harder to watch a serialized story where you have to go back and watch the same episode two or three times for that binge model. But if I'm casually watching, I don't mind a binge model occasionally. Um, I just, uh, I've learned that if I limit myself to like two or three episodes a night and spread it out personally, as opposed to like, Hey, if they, if Amazon say, for example, were to drop all of the expanse season in one shot, I'm not going to sit down and watch the whole thing in one day. I'm going to watch two or three episodes a day and space it out. Um, if only for my own personal enjoyment so that I can appreciate the nuance. When I'm watching something critically, though, like I said, I have to watch it two or three times, and that's just impossible to binge for me then.
0: Yeah, I, I, have, to, I have to agree with that, because, yeah, when you're trying to put a critique, I mean, with, with shows that do that, I mean, we could definitely set up a, a formula for that and, and do that if, you know, well, I shouldn't say if. It's more of a win we get to a show that we decide to do that, that drops all the episodes at once. Um, mm-hmm. However, it's it's like, yeah, it, it, it seems like Netflix was doing something with that and and started that trend. But I do like that other companies kind of caught on and were like, well, there was something special about being able to have water cooler talk, you know. And it wasn't all, you know, 30 hours of these people's lives bombarded at you at once. It was spread out over time. You had a week to hit up the, you know, the boys at the office or, or you know, wherever you... Meet your friends to talk about stuff. I guess Twitter too, um, and but we got to have conversations, and that was like that's one of the motivations for this show is so we can have these discussions just like that. So we can talk about it every week, and we can go, yeah, we like this happening. We think this is going to happen. It's all part of sharing the experience that I think was lost with with binging. But that said, there are certain shows that that do kind of need it. I think with the Daredevil formula, it worked well because that show took place over the course of like a couple of days and so it, i don't know i think there's something to be said for for dripping it once one episode a week or maybe like two episodes a week if you really want to get the story out there fast there, there's definitely ways to do it but uh i think we've said all that we need to say on on slow horses it's time to move to the rest of the show with you know two minutes of lego star wars at the end and with that Uh, We are going to shift to the, uh, we're a little behind on this, but uh, at the same time, the Batman dropped on HBO Max, which gave some of us that didn't get a chance to see it in the theater the opportunity to actually sit down and watch it and enjoy it. Uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't go to the theater for this one, mainly because it's three hours long. And I do enjoy the aspect of watching a blockbuster movie in my jammies. So, uh, Corione, I don't think I've actually heard any of your thoughts on this movie yet. And so, I am ready for you.
1: Okay, so I did watch this in the theater. um, Which, uh, let me tell you, when you buy an extra large soda and you watch it in the theater, get ready, you're in for a wild ride. It's, It's more of a challenge at that point. Um, that being said, I did make it all the way through it. I've actually got, I'm kind of good friends with the guy who owns a theater near me. So he let me, you know, do my critique thing where I can sit there with, you know, a pad and paper and write while I'm watching it. And this is, I think, the first time I can recall a Batman movie where Gotham itself felt like a character in the show. I will also say that this is probably the most detective Batman we have ever seen. So I did like those things about it. I really liked when Batman was being a detective. I felt that that felt realistic and genuine and, and good. Um, the core concept of the the plot elements that they took from some of Batman's greatest comic book stories absolutely were fantastic. It had me guessing the whole time whether we were seeing The Riddler, whether we were seeing Hush... What we were actually getting to. That was fantastic. Um, I felt the runtime was actually justified. It was long. But. The, the movie needed time to build scenes. And. You couldn't tell this story any quicker. I don't think. If you were determined to tell this story. So I did like that. Uh, I felt that some of the character, Like some of the actors. Were criminally underutilized. Um, the penguin criminally underutilized. <laughs> see um, there. Thanks. Um, you know, uh, there there were some great points. You know, there were some great characters there. Um, I think this is the first time on screen we have seen a black Commissioner Gordon, and he was perfect in the role. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, absolutely nailed it. I can see why they casted him, and I one hundred percent agree with the casting. Um, worked out great. Um, I felt like Andy Serkis as Alfred missed the mark for me. I just didn't buy him as Alfred. But then I've seen Alfred written that way in the comics. They're not my favorite uh, like, episodes of the comics. But I can see where they took the inspiration from. I can see where Andy Serkis took his inspiration from, so I I'm, you know, I get it. I understand it. Things I didn't like though. Uh, I am a Big Batmobile person. Okay? For me, the car is one of the most important parts of Batman. And I despise this car.
0: Ooh. Ooh, those fighting words. You know what? Um, I continue. Continue. I'm I'm just I'm just interjecting my little commentary in your commentary. Absolutely, we'll, we'll,
1: absolutely.
0: We'll, we'll fight and about I it here get, soon enough.
1: Yeah, and I get that it's personal preference, and I respect <laughs> people's personal preference on that, but for me. If you're gonna take what looks like a friggin' Trans Am and throw a rocket in the back of it, that looks like something from Mythbusters. It doesn't look like something from Batman. Um, that's my pe- That's my feeling on it. Um, there were a couple of lines that got very social justicey that really pulled me out of the movie. They made me kind of stop and go. I'm in a movie theater, what being lectured at? I've I'm no longer you know, along for the ride on this mystery. So I feel like those were missteps personally. Uh, I get that it's modern Hollywood. You got to throw in a little bit of identity politics. You got to throw in a lot of blaming the rich white guy, but it didn't fit here. Well, it didn't feel organic to me. It felt quite the opposite and it was very jarring and it kicked me out of the movie. Um, So those were things I, I wasn't particularly fan, like a fan of, um, I also really didn't like the bat suit. Um, he looks like he's got, like, I don't know, toaster elements on the sides of, on his gauntlets there. Like, and I, I also noticed that anytime he pulls out a tool, he never pulls it out of his belt, he pulls it out of his sleeve. Like, his gauntlets have, like, all the toys on them. And it started driving me crazy. I'm like, you know, what the hell is he hiding all this stuff on his sleeve when he has a perfectly good utility belt right there and we can see it? So my my issues are more about those sort of things than about the overarching plot and the overarching concept. I feel like they definitely have built something that could go somewhere. If they do a sequel, I feel like it could very it could work very well. Um I would really love to see the sequel from Commissioner Gordon's perspective where the Batman character is the supporter to Commissioner Gordon ...trying to get the answers. I think that would be a very fascinating way to take it. Um, But... And that would give us an opportunity to see more of this... ...this character that they've introduced us to... ...of Gotham itself. Um, I also think that... Oh! You want a really good example of how to do cinema well. The opening sequence... ...where he... ...they're showing crimes going on in Gotham... ...and the criminals suddenly... ...you know, see a shadow that they think might have moved, and suddenly go, you know what? No, it's not worth it. This is terrifying. I'm out. Um, You know, I'm I'm giving up. I'm going home tonight because that could be Batman. That was absolutely perfect. Um, I, I do feel that Robert Pattinson was not... See, okay, I've got this theory that whenever they cast somebody as Batman or Bruce Wayne... Um, they're either a really good Batman or a really good Bruce Wayne. They're not both. Robert Pattinson was a fairly acceptable Batman, despite not being as buff as previous Batmans. But he looked like he was a meth addict as Bruce Wayne. And I didn't appreciate that. Um, he just looked too meth-head and sad to be the billionaire playboy that is Bruce Wayne. So I get that they're doing it as, like, year two. But year two in the comic books, he was the billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne. So you you either have it one way or you have it the other. And, uh, like I said, I feel like that was just a misstep. But overall, I did enjoy the movie.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I'll i definitely share my thoughts in a bit. But, uh, John, why don't you go ahead and share your, your thoughts on the Batman?
3: Yeah, um... I'm just gonna jump off of CarryOn's dislikes because a couple of them were actually some of the things that I liked and kind of saw as world building. Okay. Um, like you brought up the social justice warrior points uh, that felt like they pulled you out of the world. Uh, for me, like I kind of have gotten good at glossing over that kind of content, but when I was like watching and I I watched it twice, which well twice, once and a half. Um, because it's three hours. But I was watching it with my younger brother and I was like being more analytical on it on the second one. and because he kept bringing up a lot of good points saying about how much this one sets itself up for the second one. And I think the the points you just made about Batman looking like a meth head and like, all correct. I'm not saying that those things didn't happen. I'm saying that they were actually potentially more towards the like setup for the second one, because uh, one what my brother brought up was that uh, this we got a really good Batman and a really bad Bruce Wayne. But the whole time, we were seeing Batman realize the importance of Bruce Wayne in his life. Like for the longest time, like, I think this one really showed Batman as like Bruce, uh, or like Bruce Wayne is Batman's alter ego. And a lot of the other ones, Bruce, Batman is Bruce Wayne's alter ego, right? And so, for once, we're seeing like how Batman could be created and how somebody could literally dress up like a bat, feel like it's a good idea every night. And the, like, social justice warrior comments, I, while they were, like, too long and drawn out, I feel like they were more, like, calling out Bruce, like, hey, Bruce, it's time for you to play the game, too. Like, you need to get in there. You are a billionaire. You supposedly love the city. And, like, obviously nobody knows he's Batman, right? So, like, he thinks he's showing his love for the city. And now these other people are saying, like, well, you're not. And there's a lot more you could do. And so this one really felt like it was defining Batman and giving us room to see, like you just said, uh, an episode two that goes more from Commissioner Gordon slash Bruce Wayne's perspective, like that world, like we know how dark and cool Batman is and the scenes we'll get him in are going to be fun, but the scenes that like... Or this one really set up was that like he needs to work on his Bruce Wayne persona. Like it is broken. It is a meth head looking guy. Like you are putting too much emphasis on the bat and not enough emphasis on like spending your money efficiently. And that was like Alfred's call outs to him was like, you are literally being kicked out of your company that you could do more in a single hour with than you could do all night. And I felt like that gave a lot of um, presence. I, I, it just felt like it was more second movie building rather than taking away from the actual story.
1: Okay, I, I, I see your points. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I think there's a valid thing there. And I think if they're going like a Talia al Ghul story for the second one, then I think everything you said there would be completely justified course
0: all right and now uh now for my thoughts of course um before we we get into our comparison and where we rank this batman um i thought that as far as batmobiles go i liked the pony car supercar aspect could it have used more flair could it have had a little bit more dressing up to to be a proper batmobile yes um For what it was, though, being a little bit of a car and, and, you know, spaceship guy myself, I loved it. I thought it was, I I, I did actually like the simplistic side of it. So I think if you were going to put flair on it, you'd kind of want to be careful with how much flair but otherwise, I, I thought the car itself was fine. But I could see how it, you know, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a pony car. It's a Mustang with a engine with a jet engine slapped on it. All right, it, yeah, it is. I'm not gonna fight you on that because I, but I liked it. I liked it. It, it. it, that combined with the wingsuit made me appreciate the fact that they were kind of going for even more realism than what the Nolan trilogy did in just kind of in their own way so i appreciated a lot of those aspects i don't think they were entirely necessary to go that realistic however it was still cool to see them do that though to have batman actually use a wingsuit instead of his cape because it was like well while nolan had a pretty good explanation of how the cape works It was still fantasy, more or less. This was like, oh yeah, he put on a wingsuit. Now, of course, he landed perfectly without a parachute. That's pushing it. And getting blown up in the face with no damage was also a bit of an oversight that they should not have done. That was a bad mistake. But those are only really the small things that I have an issue with because the movie itself, I thought, was good. I definitely rank it up there high, and and like I said, we'll, we'll definitely go over that. Um Commissioner Gordon, fantastic performance. Um the, it was literally he just I I, I didn't even care that, that he looked a little bit differently than the Gordon we're used to because this is one of those situations where race swapping is perfectly fine because Jeffrey Wright captured the essence of the character. He was Gordon. I was like, yeah, that's Commissioner Gordon. That there's no yep. doubt in my mind. He fit the role perfectly i really love those scenes you know you, you mentioned that doing more detective work we'll get into that in a bit i did like it don't get me wrong nothing bad to say there it's just i also really like those scenes where they were finally sitting there deducing the situation with each other though when they're having that back and forth off each other i'm like yes okay that is one of the kind of chem- that's the chemistry that the nolan trilogy kind of missed in my opinion and so yep. to see them just interacting the way they did, deducing things and figuring stuff out, I thought that was that was perfect in, in the way that they executed it, and the scenes were acted well. So yeah, I give this movie high praise overall. Now the controversial stuff that you brought up, while your criticism is understandable and valid, and I get it, you go to a, you go to a movie like this to watch a movie. You're not there to get a lecture on on social politics and if it is going to be a lecture on social politics you definitely don't you definitely want to go about it a little bit better and i think that's kind of what they thought they were doing it just didn't come out right because if you listen to the line that she specifically says it's not privileged white people that she's mad at it's specifically privileged white guys that are running the town essentially Now, I know it seems controversial, and it is to say that, but according to Investopedia, we'll just go through a list here, and and we're just looking at this analytically and logically, not trying to make a point uh, one way or the other. All right, top 10 richest people in the world. Elon Musk, South African, technically white. Uh, Jeff Bezos, who's probably the richest of them all, I think, still, because of Amazon. Uh, Bernard Arnault, Bill Gates, uh, Warren Buffett, Larry Page, Surgery Brin, Steve Ballmer, Larry Ellison, and uh, I don't see a picture of this uh, person named who I'm not familiar with. Oh, Guatem Adani supposedly from India. I'm going to have to look into that. So that's 9 out of 10. Uh, So the way that they said it, I don't think it was meant to be a racial thing so much as it was just a simple pointing of fact. Now, could it have been said better? Could it have been executed better? Absolutely. I'm not going to fight you on that. However, I I found that it wasn't... They weren't saying, oh, you know, white privilege. They weren't going that route. It was specifically saying, you know, rich white privileged guys. So I give them a little credit with that. They were trying to specifically focus on, on the problem causers were, which typically is those people with lots of money and power that are pulling strings. but just went through it. That's all I was just doing was a, was a a analytical assessment. According to investopedia.
1: Yeah. And and look, to be perfectly honest, we can disagree about a scene and still recognize the logical points that both of us are making. And I think that's really the the best part about a stream like this is that, you know, we can have a good discourse about this, right? And yeah, genuinely, too. Yeah,
0: that's what we're about here. Is we're about having, we're about discussing the information, we're about having respect for a discourse whether or not. And and me personally, I don't like to get too much into the politics stuff. Uh, mainly because I can't control anything outside my front door. So, why get worked up over it? Why lose friendships over something like that? If I lose friendships over a disagreement over something like Batman, I can sleep with that.
1: <laughs> That's fine. well. I mean, if we're gonna have a disagreement over Batman, it should be that like we feel you know something like Bruce Wayne is more important than Batman or something crazy like that, like you know, or like some specific or like you know, one of us feels that like Robin. George completely... Batman's
3: the best Batman.
1: Yeah, like uh, if we're gonna disagree about something Nipple like that, suit or not? Nah. right? Exactly. You know, like that—that that is a reasonable argument to, to you know, throw up a, uh, you know, flip a table over. As far as I'm concerned,
0: <laughs> I, I want to—I just want one question. I want to know why George Clooney's Batman got nipples, but Batgirl didn't. That doesn't seem fair. Just saying. Uh,
1: well, you know, equality—you know—should be a more important thing, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I—I I would definitely. Uh,
3: one of those Andy from The Office situations, George Clooney's nipples just chafed in his suit. He's the only one to complain about it.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Personally, I would love to see a re-edit with, you know, a quality of bat nipple throughout the entire movie. I think it would make for a, a, a much, much better movie, to be honest.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, it. Like I said, there's yeah. certain execution with certain in the lines.
1: Of equality, of course.
0: Yeah. Certain execution of lines definitely could have been better overall, but I don't think it strayed too far off the message. And like I said, I think they were trying to, to just point out to, oh no, it's it's the guys who control Gotham that are rich and just happen to be white. And that's the point I was making with my list was, was like, if you look at it, some of the most powerful people, the richest people in the world, not necessarily powerful, because there is a difference, um, they do just happen to be white. So it's not like it was completely off base to say it in that way either. And that's the only point I was just trying to make. Uh, was that it? Actually, was a, a, a and that's why I give him credit for it because it was actually a thought-out line. It wasn't just oh, my white people bad, which I agree is not a is not a road we want to go down. We don't want to go down that with any ethnic background. We don't want to try and typecast and other people like that by by making them less than. So I do agree with with the cautionary tale about it. However, in this instance, it was specific, and so that's where I'm as a writer myself. I'm saying hey. Good try. Maybe try it a little better. But I'm not offended, so. Uh any uh any other thoughts on Dark Knight before we uh before we uh argue best Batman?
1: Oh, uh or you mean the, the Batman or f- do right, we want to talk about Dark before we discuss oh, the yeah. Dark Knight.
0: Um This is what happens <laughs> when I go unscripted all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um I guess the the only other piece of the puzzle I would say is I think it's quite possible that they're going to get a sequel. And if they do, um, you know, if they do, I would really encourage them to like, I know they, they end credits and, and kind of the deleted scene stuff was dealing more with the Joker. I would really encourage them to shy away from that and go in a completely different direction. Look, I think we can all agree that the best depiction of the Joker is, you know, has so far that we've seen in movies, um, you know, we've gotten some really really good ones, uh, we've gotten some p- really poor ones too, but I think staying away from that at least for now, um, maybe have him still in Arkham, building up a crew for like a big capstone movie at the end of when you decide to end the arc would be a better fit for him. Um, what I would recommend is take it in the direction of Talia, right? Take it into the, the direction of Ross. Cause Ross has never really been done really, really well on screen yet. Right. Um, I would even argue you could take it into like a Mr. Freeze direction. Cause we've gotten a very cheesy Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze, but we haven't gotten the tragic Mr. Freeze from like the Batman, the animated series, which I feel like is criminally, you know, hasn't been done and really should be like, take us there, take us to places where the villains that we're going to be seeing are lesser known, lesser well done characters, but yeah. really deserve like a a good you know gritty treatment for lack There's of a better term.
3: A ton of characters that like follow the message and the grand scheme, especially in terms of like what the media talked about cultural movements alright. So like global warming at poison ivy. Mm-hmm. Like her whole shtick is that she was a climatologist of some kind or a botanist. And then she messed with a rare plant that like gave her power over nature. And like even in the Arkham games, she does a ton of like interesting things that like even batman is like well yeah you're like you're killing people or you're putting like ruining people's property but also like i understand that you really care about the environment you're just going about it in a completely wrong way and she's like well i am super so i'm gonna do it whatever way i want and he's like well then i'm gonna arrest you for it but he wasn't like oh you're a terrible person for thinking that like it yeah. like There was a whole dialogue in the Arkham game about it, and he's like, yeah, I get it, but you're just doing it wrong. And, like, she didn't change her mind, but that was a whole on-the-message moment that worked and flowed with the story already because they were in cahoots for a time. And I think that, that would be something phenomenal to put in to a new Batman that we haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, like it, you, you can believe quite convincingly that Batman would have no problem with her if she was like regrowing sections of the Amazon, or you know, revitalizing a national park that had been destroyed by a forest First fire. Or something Wayne like that. would
3: pay her to go just take his plane to do that stuff. Yeah, I, and and I think that's something that you could legitimately see turn like that's that anti-hero. like a f- female villain turned antihero turned, I guess, just a wizard. She gets to go out and take care of nature because that's what she's most attuned with, right? Yeah. And that would be a fun story trope.
1: Yeah. Or or even, you know, using her plants to potentially, you know, grow rare and exotic herbs that could, you know, produce medicines to heal people. Like, there are... That's the tragedy of poison ivy is that she could be doing so much good, but she's just,
3: yeah.
1: Uh, Another good one would be killer croc. If you did a story about killer croc being this outsider, his whole life and that he never really wanted to be a bad guy. He just got pushed into it because of his looks. You could completely do an amazing on message, you know, quasi political movie with that where You know, the Bat kind of feels bad for having to bring him down because, you know, he is behaving like a monster, but he's only behaving like a monster because people have pushed him to that. So the question of that movie could become, who really is the monster here?
3: And that, I feel like that would even set up for an even more interesting Joker. Because when you do bring him in later down the road... You bring in a joker who's just giving those pl- people a place like that feels like home, right? Just giving them a home. He's accepting them when nobody else would. And that explains why they decide to actually maintain their villainy. Because, like, that is even more on message, right? The uh, jail system doesn't work, right? The prison system is turning more people into more prisoners and just throwing them away and i think that's just it all stacks right and now we have a human like a realistic batman with a realistic villain army that this is why batman exists and is necessary but it all follows on message without constantly having to tell us that there's a message Yeah, that would be awesome.
0: I think I hate to give Suicide Squad any credit, but I think killing off the Joker was actually a smart thing to do. Um, And really, if you're going to have Joker in this series at all, he at this point needs to kind of be relegated to like the background overall. He he can't at least for a while. I I think between. yeah, between Phoenix's performance in the Joker movie and obviously Ledger in the Dark Knight, I, I think the Joker's been done at this point for the next 10 years. I, I don't think there's really anything to be explored with that character anymore. And, oh, sorry, of, of course, honorable mention, Mark Hamill's Joker in the animated series and also the Arkham games. Even the, Two separate Jokers played by the same guy. Uh, two very different Jokers, at least from what I've observed studying the Arkham games. I haven't played them yet. I know, heresy. Um, however, I, I do recognize that... They are, however, I do feel strongly that it's time to just kind of let the Joker be for a while. Um, I just I don't think it can be done any differently at this point. Now, I'm open to being surprised, don't get me wrong. But I do agree that doing the Joker in the next movie is not the play... I think the next movie, it it, it should be any of the other villains that you mentioned. Giving Ra's al Ghul a proper treatment, I think, would be good. I mean, I I felt his treatment was fine in in Batman Begins, but I was expecting to see him show up in Dark Knight. Um, Or even Dark Knight Rises, which he sort of pseudo did.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but they really did tell you dirty in Dark Knight Rises. I mean, we've earned watching talia and bruce's romance play out
0: yeah so unfortunately for the viewers we're not going to have any visual aids uh youtube for whatever reason gave us another copyright infringement for showing a trailer which if that happens we're probably just going to abandon youtube altogether Uh, not that i want to because i know that's an easier platform for a lot of other people who watch this type of content but uh it's it's getting harder to do visuals um anyway with that said however we will go ahead and and continue on uh, probably just have to rely on stills like we did in when we started this show um we will go ahead and move on to our comparison um in my opinion i just watched it recently dark knight is still king they're, and not just King of Batman's; it's still King of Capes as well. There has never been a cape movie that has been able to successfully, uh, actually, and and the way I the metric that I use to judge that is the fact that most people who don't even care for superheroes will still praise The Dark Knight. I have talked to people that are like, Yeah, I don't I don't care for that cape shit, but man, that Dark Knight's really good. And it's like. Yeah, it is. But it's not good because it's a Kate movie. It's good because yes, it's a great Batman movie. It's a great story. It's just man, I I yeah. was I was getting excited for scenes that I had seen so many times when the movie first came out. I was still quoting lines. I was still I was still like this movie has aged incredibly well for being over uh let's see we're 2022 so 14 years now that is um that is amazing and it's timeless i didn't feel like any any of the things that he was doing was dated i felt like it was still very much relevant to to today and actually even more so to today the character of the joker in that film is so and it, some people say that oh you know it's it's not that great because the you know the joker's plan doesn't make any sense right watching it this time around and i think maybe the batman helped to elevate the movie believe it or not watching it this time around i realized the joker didn't have a plan the whole time the joker was planning on dying or being in prison there was you know most of the other stuff that he had happen was because he was working directly with the mob but we don't see that interaction as much because it happens off camera but when you rewatch the movie no, nolan's writing is so good that the, the dark knight is, is the dark knight is two out two and a half hours of literary bliss in my opinion because it's solid every every angle is covered uh, the Nolans when they wrote it did a great job of making sure that they had everything that they wanted to say clearly without you know having to go to the extremes of saying blunt lines like in the Batman and so yes it still holds up for me it's still the king um, but here's where the Batman did better for me the score Giacchino Definitely beat Hans Zimmer and made a more iconic and memorable Batman uh, soundtrack. While I do feel that the Hans Zimmer soundtrack does a good job to keep the tone of the Dark Knight, uh, let's let's not kid ourselves here. It's it's fine, it's passable, but it's also done it, done it, done it, done, done. And then we have some of the Inception, you know, in there too, which is his style and it works. Giacchino... I, I still have the theme in my head. I can reference it right now. It's it's so it, it was really well done, and I think that was one of the Batman's strongest points. So it definitely beat it there. Um, the Batmobile I liked more. I felt was actually more practical slapping a jet engine on a pony car uh, versus the Tumbler. I like the practical functions of the Tumbler, but as a design from a design perspective for full time use like that, it, it just doesn't work. It's too big. So it gets a little clunky. It's a little it's a little ridiculous. I liked what they were trying to do. Again, Nolan's really good about trying to make that make Batman plausible. But I think with that we could have done a bit of a better design on the Batmobile
2: along. We
3: just feel like um, Go ahead. Just to comment on that. I feel like uh, Nolan should have just slapped a rocket to a G-Wagon. <laughs>
0: <sighs> right. Or just just Somebody just lift the animated series Batmobile already. I mean, the
3: Batman felt like the animated series brought to life. I like I've seen those made somewhere before. Like, somebody's remade a real
1: one. There's actually a dude who lives 50 kilometers or, or, you know, about 25 miles from my place that actually has a Batmobile. He dresses up as Batman and goes to the hospitals in the area, but he drives a legit Batmobile.
0: Uh, I'll I'll drink my water to that. Good for you, man. Thanks for making a difference in the world.
3: Um, yeah, yeah. And being
0: so cool. That's, that's my, but, but that's, so yeah, going back to what I was saying, the things that did better. Um, both Gary Oldman and Jeffrey Wright are Commissioner Gordon. Both of their performances were solid, so I cannot. I think they're both tied in their, in their respective roles in, in those movies. They both. and, and But then and that's the thing with Commissioner Gordon. That's a character type that's very specific. Batman, you can be a little bit more fluid with, you can take it different directions. I did like Pattison's Batman, though I will agree, Carry On. Uh, Bales was definitely way better dressed. I did, however find in some elements of Pattinson's performance as Batman to be a little bit better than Bale's for the simple fact that he was more just quiet and and stern, but I could still hear him, you know, he was talking very sternly but quietly, whereas Batman has throat cancer when it's Christian Bale. And so, yeah, I felt that Bale's growling was a little heavy at times, whereas Pattinson's came off that more calculated. Now, They say that the Batman, you know, you guys praise it heavily for the proper detective work. Okay, I will admit that, yes, it does have more focus on the detective work. It does treat Batman as more of an equal on the police force, whereas in The Dark Knight, he's made to be the villain for a very good reason. But he still did detective work in The Dark Knight, too. When he did all the bullet analytics, you know, I felt that both films did a very good job of Detective Batman. However, yes... There was more because we have a younger Batman for the Batman. There was more emphasis on it. There was more time spent on it, whereas Nolan went with the you know it's time for a montage approach. Whereas, well, I think,
3: go ahead. I think that the big difference is that the the stuff we saw Batman Christian Bale doing was forensic, like lab type shit. Like yeah, he was being cool. in the C, the uh, the CSI right. Crime CSI lab. Gotham, yeah. Yeah, CSI Gotham. Whereas what uh, Robert Pattinson was doing was way more like, "Oh, there's a riddle." Like he he was saying, or he gave us a riddle. Here's the answer, and he they're like talking about it like actual like like uh, homicide detectives, rather than talking about it like crime lab techs.
0: Very true, and and yeah, I think that's the point. bigger.
3: Like and and that it, it definitely does matter. Like detectives don't think of themselves as Christian Bale CSI. They think of themselves as that more on the ground, literally looking at evidence in the moment.
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I do. I do place the Batman very highly up on the charts, though. It is better mm. than the Dark Knight Rises. I mean that 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 movie was. Yeah. What it was. Um, I don't know. I I would say would I put it above batman begins probably because batman begins does have that hitch of being an origin story you know it's one of those movies begins is kind of one of those films where you watch it once you only really care to watch the second half going for, for the for you know any time you want to watch it so it it didn't do that it didn't waste time with the origin story we know batman's origins it just dove right into here's batman this is what he's going to do now and I liked it for that. Uh, better than Batfleck, obviously. Um, obviously better than... Hey. Now, as far as the Michael Keaton Batman goes, I think I do need to give that one another fair shake now that I'm a bit older and kind of see where where that one stands overall. I don't think it's, you know... Yeah, it definitely gave Dark Knight a run for its money, which I was impressed with. But it wasn't, didn't quite hit all the marks for me. But uh Carry On, you came dressed to play today, so why don't you uh why don't you give us your take?
1: Well, um so I will say this, I have uh I when I uh rank my Batman, I have a split because I have the top Batman and I have the top Bruce Wayne because they are different. Um I would argue that yeah, uh I I think, you know, Robert Pattinson definitely is in contention for for the top seat on Batman. Um, but I definitely think that Ben Affleck was by far the superior Bruce Wayne. Um, I can agree to you that. Know, right? Um, you know, uh, I personally think the Tumblr was far superior the Bat vehicle overall, personally. Um, I feel like if I was going to be a dude that decided to dress up as a Bat and take on crime, yo man, I'm going to want a a tank that is street you know, quasi-street legal. I'm going to want that kind of beefy, scary freaking vehicle as opposed to more of a hot rod look. I want something that people see this thing, and when they see it, they start running in the opposite direction. Not realizing that it means they'll only just be arrested tired. Um, that That's how I feel about it. I love the Tumblr. Um, my, my second choice, I think, when it comes to Bat vehicles is probably... The Michael Keaton Batmobile, it was just, it was great in its campy, um, you know, at the time, 90, early, you know, late 80s, early 90s comic book, that was the Batmobile. And they just, they brought it to life and it was perfect. Um, story-wise, I definitely think this is in content, like, I, I I 100% agree Uh, The Dark Knight is the best Batman overall we've gotten, like on all points. It is a near perfect movie to me. Yeah, Um, I
0: I think I'm sorry to, I'm just going to interrupt real quick just to, since we're talking about Batmobiles and I decided to look up the picture because I couldn't remember. Okay, yes, Keaton's Batmobile is still the king. I will have to to say that in my opinion, because it also did have functionality, but it is also, yeah, it's lifted from the comics but it looks like something that I would drive to the grocery store, if I'm being honest. So...
1: Dude, you drive that to the grocery store, you are gonna get noticed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to drive a ZL1 Camaro. Nothing I'm not used to. But uh, yeah, nice. no, I, but yeah, I just wanted to say that. Looking at it, I was like, oh, that's right. That one was very close to the uh, Tell telefi- tele- to the animated series version, which, like I said, that's the one I'd like to see on screen at this point. But I, I think for me, it's just the tumbler was a little too bulky. But don't wanna leave it at that.
1: Fair. Fair. Um, I would say that, you know, it's really hard for me to say that this is, uh, the Batman is in second place. I really feel like it's a tie. Um, I really feel like what we got with the Michael Keaton Batman, uh, the origin, the OG Michael Keaton Batman. Was in my second place. I feel like this comes. Re- this is just about on par with that. They're just two very different movies, so it's really comparing apples to oranges. Um, you could tell that the Michael Keaton movie was really all about um, trying to match the film noir, gothic architecture feel of the comic books at that time. Whereas, look the bat the Batman. Robert Pattinson's Batman did something no other Batman has ever done and it made Gotham a character and that is huge to me my issue is just some of the other glaring stuff that that keeps it from being you know certifiably the number two slot I feel like it's a a really really tight tie with the original Batman Um, and then you know in a distant fourth I think is probably Batman and Robin (laughs) Yes, that's, that's a that's pretty fair. distant fourth i would also say this that i think ben affleck if he had had better writers could have been an absolutely amazing batman he just had terrible writing for his two movies
0: fair all right uh john what's your uh, what's your opinion on the batman versus the dark knight
2: Um,
3: Well, I feel like versus the Dark Knight, I feel like we just got two completely different Batmans. Um, The biggest difference is that one of them is not really fully human, whereas the other one is trying to pull out. Like, throughout the whole Dark Knight, we constantly see Bruce Wayne trying to leave, right? Like, to hang the cape up, he's positioning Harvey, trying to help Harvey. Um, So we, we got this older, more mature Batman dealing with a just crazy threat, whereas Pattinson's Batman was much younger, much more just used to being a brawler just used to going straight at it head first he's got like 80% of the information good enough I'm going in um, and I think that that makes for two dynamically different movies especially the, the roles that were played so we had the Joker who's broadcasting terror whereas we have the Riddler who's broadcasting uh, individual justice. And I think that the the two stories really diverge in that instance where, like, the Joker isn't claiming to be a just person. He's just threatening the whole city. Whereas the Riddler is, like, painting the world as he sees it. And, And the worst part is, like, most of the people kind of sort of agree with him like he's not actually wrong when he talks about the uh commissioners the the two people that he killed he's not he's not actually wrong when he says no they were dirty they were on the payroll they were the reason why drugs are still ruining our city um it's just his execution was you know that's not what you're supposed to do Right, like instead of, you know, collecting all this data and actually holding a trial and having person people taken to jail, instead he doesn't trust them because of the people that he would take him to trial. And I feel like that all plays for a wholly different story, whereas the Dark Knight is very much a story about combating evil with just a little bit under evil um batman's not afraid to do anything that's abrasive in the dark knight um but he's also like i feel like there's that whole message so bent on i'll never kill like if that's your one thing, you should probably have like 10 or other, like 10 or 15 other fake things so that nobody's like constantly pushing you to that edge of it's kill or let somebody else die. And it just felt a little bit especially now watching it now it felt more forced in comparison. Um and that's more just in comparison. Um, whereas like like this Batman, or the new Batman, the Batman, it felt like Robert Pattinson's character was getting all these lectures, and he gave everybody the exact same face back. Like, I I'm thinking about other things that have nothing to do with what you're talking about, and he just kept not changing. And I felt that that felt more human. Whereas Bruce is having these really philosophical debates with Alfred and, you know, becoming a better person throughout the entire movie that's only spanning 48 hours to a week. And I feel like that's a little, that's its one of the benefits of these like new movies um, where writers aren't always going to let the the main character change entirely. Um, And that's, I don't know, I don't necessarily, I don't have a tier system uh, like you guys do. I don't have a one to ten. I don't even remember all of the Batman movies. I definitely like Ben Affleck's Batman. Um, I feel like in the director's cuts of both of his movies, he was much better portrayed as a hardened leader. Um. anytime anybody like rebuffed him he just like he didn't break he never broke stoicism even when he was bruce wayne he was still maintained his stoic nature and that felt like what the mature batman that is supposed to be like the batman of the justice league is always the this is how we do it right And then everybody goes, yeah, but there's other ways. And he's like, no, this is the only right way. And it's going to suck, but it's the only way. And then the whole series is about them being, like, trying all the other ways until they finally go, okay, Batman was right. And now they do it the hard way, but it's the right way. And that's really more what I felt Ben Affleck's character was. But, uh, yeah, so as far as, that's about my, yeah, I would wrap that up.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that Ben Affleck's Batman, um, like or any Justice League Batman, look in the Justice League. Batman is the moral compass in like in the the Justice League, which is amusing given that it is a league that has Superman in it. But no, Batman is actually the moral compass here, um, and I always find that fascinating.
3: I love that though because Superman never represents himself as the moral compass of the world. The people say he is, but he's just igno- Like, Like, I really feel like Superman is Batman's humility incarnate. Like, Batman has all of the intellect that Superman has the strength, mm-hmm. and Batman has all the money, all the ability to let his pride and ego make him become a dictator but then there's superman constantly sitting over his shoulder acting as like his hubris enforcer right and then superman never wants to be worshipped because like the way he grew up was that like you do good for good you don't do it for money you don't do it for face you don't ultimately do good for a better plan You just do good because you can. And that's where his role has always been in the series. Is like, where can I do the most good? Batman, tell me where to go. And that's why I think that dynamic works so well.
1: Well, I mean, when when you take a look at, you know, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, right? And -hmm. you take a look at the original Superman Creed of truth, justice, and the American way. Look, Batman is justice, right? Mm. You take, you know, um, Wonder, Wonder Woman is truth, yeah. and Superman is the American way, which is kind of splitting the difference between the two, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's kind of the interesting dynamic those two, those three have. And even when you just look at, at Batman and Superman, I mean, you literally have, like, the sun and the moon, right? you got the rational and the passionate. They're both working to the same ends. They just have dramatically different ways of getting there.
3: Yeah, and, and I remember reading on uh, Snyder's original uh, intent for the Superman versus Batman story that was supposed to, you know, create the Justice League. And his whole depiction was the two approaches, two American approaches to 9-11. Yeah. Uh, he was separating that Superman was this, like, rah-rah, America, support your troops. Get the good, like, save who you can save, but get it done. And then Batman was the actual troops getting the job done. Like, we have to fight this world to protect this world. And the, the paradigm he was trying to, I guess, like, show was, like, what if those two ideals meet at the head of, like, in battle? And I always get frustrated with people getting mad at Kryptonite just being this, like, goofy rock that can just melt Superman. It... If it was going to be any rock from Krypton, it would be some version of Kryptonian Uranium. So, like, the reason he's melting is because its isotope is messing with his skin. Like, the same way Uranium-231 or 235 actually reacts to humans, that's why you can't touch it. Right? Like, that's what frustrates me, is that people mess with Kryptonite like it's just a green rock, and it's like yeah technically but like if we're gonna you know say a man can fly then let's at least say that the agent he's being poisoned by is a radioactive mineral that hurts kryptonians specifically
2: yeah yeah uh, i never-
0: <laughs> yeah i mean uh definitely uh lots lots of good discussion there um Getting in kind of into the Justice League and whatnot, but I mean, it's all Batman. It's all it's all relevant, so it's all. to who
3: Batman but... becomes?
0: Well, and yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I think when it comes to the the Justice League right now, I think we need to get that kind of sorted out to to get it on a good level. Um, I know the Sniper Cut came out; and that was a big deal. I still haven't made the time to watch it yet, but.
1: Uh, oh, you're you're to cheating it. yourself, dude. Yeah you gotta... you're,
3: you're missing out. Everything is fixed in the Snyder.
0: <laughs> I I will definitely get around to it. And I will say this it's... though, for Batfleck, I did like a more practical Batman in the sense that he wasn't afraid to kill when it was necessary. Um I think it could have been a little bit better executed overall, but it definitely it, it definitely kind of made more sense, and I used to think that, you know, that was the big fantasy of Nolan's Dark Knight, was that, oh, you know, he never kills anybody. I watched it again, and I, I realized I was wrong. Batman does break his rule in the Dark Knight. At the very end. He
3: killed Dent. He
0: killed Dent. And I that never clicked with me because i always saw it as a circumstantial type of 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 situation where he was just trying to save gordon's kid and i realized he did it by shoving him off the edge and killing him oh he did break his rule so the joker was right he did have to go that far and that's just it it's 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 that whole idea behind where yes Heroes only kill when they absolutely have to. But that's the unfortunate side of life is that you might be presented with a circumstance where you're not going to have a choice. You're not going to have that luxury to to stick to your morals. And if you do, it may come at a high cost to yourself. Not necessarily just your own life, but someone you might care about. And that's why Batman did what he did. Because he was like, he wasn't going to let Gordon's son or his family suffer the Joker's Um, the Joker's game, and so he sacrificed his morals to save the life of Gordon's kid, Uh, and and I think that's a lot of what gets missed in the uh, the Justice League and and the Batman that we're kind of supposed to get. That's why I agree that yeah, he's a Bat. Affleck's Bruce Wayne is definitely really good, and Pattinson's Bruce Wayne was a lot weaker. So I, I can agree to that. I think it's just they they the the thing about Bale's Batman was that I think he had the best balance between the two um, shifting between them was very seamless for him and so while I don't much care for the Bleh! style of, of dialogue and I did like Pattinson's softer touch he did a better job of transitioning whereas yes it, it felt like when he was Bruce Wayne he was you know emo teenager mode and he definitely needs okay we definitely needed some improvement on that but you're right when it came to being Bruce Wayne, uh, Ben Affleck just, he was Bruce Wayne, he was very good at it, very, very straightforward, I even liked in Batman v Superman, there were, there were a lot of elements of that movie I did enjoy, but ultimately, upon rewatches, I was like, yeah, it's, it's not that great in the long run, uh, but I did just, I did like the honesty of it, though, and I, I thought that, that,
3: Jeremy I thought the Arnold directors did cut. a great
0: job as Alfred in that series, and so <laughs> I thought that there was yeah. a lot of good elements there that they just didn't make work, unfortunately.
3: So, did you, if, did you watch the director's cut or the?
0: That would be that be Justice League. No, I'm talking about no, Batman no.
3: There's Superman two directors cut, both of them. Yeah, Batman uh, v Superman had a director's, director's cut because the whole guess, Martha scene, okay. yeah, the Martha scene um that actually got changed it was originally there was warner brothers seems to play a lot of games with the like theatrical releases um i read up a lot on it and like when it comes to like this is why i think you should watch the snyder cut and don't think of it as you know just looking for the extra 10 minutes no like it's a whole different movie like the bad guy's different The reason the bad guy is on Earth is completely different, thought out, actually like a complex dialogue. A lot of the story just flows like a story should. The reason it was cut was purely because some corporate level, like miss it like just wrong they were wrong because when the snyder cut came out everybody that watched it comparing it to the other one like it was the movie that would have made dc actually stand against marvel and because it only released on uh hbo HBO. yeah like it missed (laughs) Uh, well it
1: it did crash their servers when it came out because so many people were determined to watch it, that, I was that one of there's them. something there.
3: Yeah. Oh, I, I legitimately was one of the first to watch. Like, I started it seven minutes late, yeah. and I watched it twice that night. <laughs> like, it's a great movie. It, like, and it is a different movie. Even like the uh, um, the people on wonder woman's island they are just a hundred, the amazonians they are way more thought out way more explained and just give done way more justice like i feel like there's a lot of we know what viewers like because we went back and checked the top 10 greatest hits list and we're gonna just change a few like things and we're gonna get it right and it's like no you literally have no idea what anybody likes because you're not asking anybody you're not listening to the reviews of your movies and you're just butchering superheroes because as soon as the director's cut release for batman versus superman as well it's like an extra i want to say like an extra 45 minutes of content that spliced in the right areas makes it a whole different narrative and it's like, yeah. maybe you should just trust your directors.
1: Yeah, like, you know how um, in the theatrical release of Batman versus Superman, there's a lot of uh, Div- Dante's Divine Comedy references when it comes to Lex Luthor? All of those make sense in the extended edition. Mm-hmm.
3: Everything. Like, it's it's so dumb because the pieces that they cut out were essential. Because that's, like, that's what's caused the... Martha! Wait, what? Who are you saying Martha to? My mom is Martha. It's like, no, all he was actually (laughs) saying was my mom. And, like, there's this whole line where Batman says, oh, you're crying out for your mom? And he's like, no, save my mom. And then that's when Batman goes, oh, shit. (laughs) And that's, like, an actual, like, revelation moment. Like, oh, you really were talking about something earlier before I started attacking you.
0: He doesn't care about his life at that point. He just cares that he saves his mother. That that changes that whole scene in an instant.
3: Like, wow. Yep. Uh, well, and Batman has the realization, too. It's, like, it, it actually takes the time for Batman to be shocked, like... Well, because, like, you know how it starts, like, tell me, do you bleed? And he's like, look, Bruce, I need to talk to you about something else that's way more important. And then Batman's like, I'm going to beat you to death. And then starts laying into him, right? And that's what starts the fight. And then we have him say, well, at least save my mom. Like, I don't care if I die, just save my mom. All right. And that's when Bruce realizes he's fighting yeah. an good, actual person. Good
0: Batman discussion overall, but we do need to move on because we do need to do some plugs before we close out the show. Um, but with that, uh, we are going to move on to the uh, gaming segment. So hopefully our media doesn't get us flagged again. Um, we'll try our visual aid again, but John, you spent some time checking out the Lego Star Wars Skywalker Trilogy game. Why don't you tell us what you thought?
3: It, I so I play most of my games without sound. The way my setup is, I just if I want sound, I have to put on my headphones, and that gets really annoying. So I've been playing this game with subtitles only, and that's made it play a lot more like the original lego star wars for me and it's been a ton of fun i have played it with the mumble mode turned on um i think i enjoyed that more because i was a child because now like watching it it's like oh, it's pretty childish humor but then when i turn the like the actual voice acting and the voices the jokes are funny they land um they're like well-timed And it feels that, like, everything they wanted to do with this game, they did. Uh, it, It super convoluted menu system. Like, I feel like they went a little bit too overboard with trying to condense everything into one screen for the, like, settings and everything. Rather than doing multiple splash screens for each. But, man, is it fun like it's exactly like the old game in terms of just like i'm gonna break everything in this room and not fight anybody until i get true jedi and it doesn't nothing pushes you nothing's like no hurry up you're missing the game it's just like like if you stand still it'll start giving you hints and that's the only time it'll give you hints it's really nice it's really fun um I haven't explored enough. I'm trying to beat all of the storylines so I can go back and free play on my own. Um, but it is... very entertaining. <laughs> that video is pretty bad. Oh, um, yeah, a I got to learn how to... Would have
2: been appreciated. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, I did not know it was paused for that yeah. long. Oh, um, keep going. But no, it, it ends up being just a very fun relaxing game like it used to be Uh, i cannot wait to teach my kid how to play this it's gonna be just hours of fun because we're a family of video game players and he'll get there one day
0: um so uh yeah carion did you get a chance to play it at all or
1: well um i managed to get through a little bit of it. I've, I've been sticking to the prequel and um, regular, uh, you know, the, the standard series. I have not touched the sequel trilogy section of the game at all. And probably won't. But the gameplay is fantastic. Um, it's, you know, it tracks as a... I would say celebration more than a a culmination. uh, More of a celebration of the LEGO Star Wars games, personally. Um, I think they did a lot more right than they did wrong. The comedy lands. Um, You know, John's absolutely right on, on, I think, all of it. I mean, it's probably not something I will play with my daughter because she's more into the strategy and tactics sides of things. Like, this is most definitely a Pokemon house, shall we say. But... Um, you know, this is for sure one of the better games that came out. Now, I'll admit, about three-quarters of the way through my time reviewing this game, I had to dip out because Dune Spice Wars launched on Steam. And, uh, it called to me. It it bid me take my place. So.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I... I I did not get it. I have not had a chance to pick this one up yet, but I have played both the uh, first and second Lego star Wars, as well as Lego farce awakens. And I hated the dialogue. And maybe it's not the same with the other, with the, with this newer one. So I'll probably give it a chance when I get around, because one of the things I loved about Lego star Wars was how they were able to tell so much and capture so much emotion without saying a word the scene where Anakin is found to be betraying the Jedi it's so it hits you in the gut the way that it didn't in the movie <laughs> and these are just little Lego guys and they're expressing their emotion and you're like oh oh that was actually really well done I'm impressed." And it's just—it's everything from that to the, yeah, uh, you know, th- th- keeping it limited like that. I think was a huge benefit to the series overall. But then, of course, as time went on and the other Lego games came out, then they had to resort to dialogue. I've been meaning to try Lego Lord of the Rings just to give it a shot. But I do like the simplicity of the Lego games overall. They're not super hard. They're—they're they're just their puzzles light puzzles and their fun little lego worlds and you get to build your own characters in some of them and it's it's good it's it's nice to have that as a game though like not everything needs to be uh not everything needs to be painful and that's what i like about it is is the simplicity of these games so my only issue with my main issue with doing dialogue was when in force awakens it was so bad it and it was so bad that you could hear the voice talent I think there was, it was Carrie Fisher that followed up with, you know, you could hear Harrison Ford delivering lines of, oh yeah, we need to get these supplies and Wookiee cookies for Chewy. And then there's a moment where even Fisher is embarrassed by the line because she even says, when she follows up, she says, and we'll get Wookiee cookies for Chewy. It's almost like you can hear her in the recording studio looking at this line like, are you guys serious with this crap? So... (laughs) So it kind of killed the immersion a little bit and the, and the fun of it because it was like, okay, the dialogue at first was okay and then I get to that point where it's like, okay, not even your voice talent is excited for this. Just go back to the mm, yeah, uh, style for, for something. But that said, I am open to trying the, the new trilogy to or the new saga just to see if the dialogue for the uh, prequel and OT trilogy is on point. Uh, would you say that's the case, though, Carry owner John?
1: I mean, I enjoyed the, the dialogue from a perspective of, yeah, it was fun and cute and, like, on... on-brand for LEGO Star Wars humor, I guess is the best way to put it.
2: Okay. Yeah. I
3: felt like I don't read the subtitles as much because a lot of them just seem to kind of pop up while I'm trying to do something else. Um, but as for, like what you were talking about with the whole like do the scenes describe themselves without sound that is a hundred percent like because i don't actually turn the sound on uh for most of my gameplays like i'm just watching what the game is actually giving me and it like in the first video that you showed it open it was the opening of uh episode six and it's hilarious like not there was i didn't hear any of the words or anything that's actually going on i was just watching and you just watch all the stormtroopers get dominoed Good and i was like that's like yeah so like all the visual storytelling like they still put that effort into the cut scenes. so if you do want the mumble mode on you'll still get the full story um, and, and visually it, it still portrays without actually breaking it so if that's something that like the dialogue does end up bothering you right out the gate it's just a single setting um, pretty hard to find at first, I think I actually demonstrated in this one um, but yeah, it's just a really quick uh, setting that you have to change at the beginning of the game and as soon as you change it it's all mumbles from there and it's just like playing back in the day but it is, uh, it's mumbling. And that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that got old quick, especially when you're spending all your time breaking stuff and not actually doing the main mission, then everybody's constantly mumbling at you.
0: Yeah yeah and and that's like I said the the visual gags are what really sold the Lego Star Wars series for me is that yes it is a it is very much a, a kid's game in that sense it's not hard it's not that's what it's not supposed to be it's Legos if you've ever played with Legos you've realized they're a pretty simple straightforward building block toy they are not super complex now that's not to say people haven't done complex things with them of course some of the lego art that's out there especially at le- at the various lego lands and even just stuff i've seen shared online uh in certain communities is impressive uh and that's and i, I especially appreciate that because as a kid growing up i mean john you and i we played legos all the time i think i think we spent about 40 percent of our time playing the sort game but when we did have our stuff sorted and we could build stuff and we had fun um i definitely cling more to the art aspect of legos personally you know i wanted my patterns to match up on ships and i wanted to make sure that they were sturdy and secure and and whether i was building a base with a bunch of guns on it or a star fleet of of ships because we had just got the newest lego released at the store you know that's that's the stuff that that i want to That's the stuff I like. And so putting those in the game, it was very awesome to kind of have that, that similar nostalgia even years ago when I first played those games. And so it sounds to me like, like that, that magic is still there. Is that, is that what you'd say? So for veteran Lego star Wars players, you'd recommend the game?
2: Oh yeah. You're going to,
3: you're going to have a really good time, especially because there's way more open world. I think every planet has its own open world setting um that whole getting lost and just trying to find coins is a thousand percent easier um so yeah like you're not playing the old games and you're also not losing any of the enjoyment of the old games And and that's a first usually when somebody tries to you know remaster or rebuild something they cut out all the things we actually enjoyed and in this case they made them bigger well, that's, Which is that's, slower, but yeah, well,
0: uh, and that's and that's uh, and that's there's nothing wrong with going a little slower because, like I said, one of the draws to the Lego Star Wars game is the simplicity. It is mm-hmm. one that you can just you know sit down in a controlled and relaxed environment. You're not playing PvP. Uh, you're not putting up with kids. You know, hundred twentieth kid who's supposedly copulated with your mother. It's just you. It's just the Legos, just like it was, you know, back in the back in the day, and that's what I like about it. Was it was kind of like playing these games was kind of like reenacting some of those some of those battles uh, that I made, but of course not exactly the same because I didn't have you know half the sets that, that are showcased. I mean, we had a we had a lot of Legos growing up, but yeah. Now I've I've still been impressed by some people's collections and, and various Lego art uh, as mm. it as it were. Um, so yeah. Any any final thoughts, suggestions with uh Lego Star Wars?
3: I recommend it. It's got that couch co op that I haven't seen in a long time. Oh yeah. It's super easy too, you just press A to jump in and press start and quit to drop out again. Doesn't break the story, doesn't do anything to mess anything up. It's really Oh yeah,
0: that was another thing I absolutely loved about the Lego Star Wars mechanic was the simplicity of the co op play. That you you literally had your 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 buddy was always with you, right? There was never a moment where you're alone because whether it's the computer playing it for you or your your friend or family member jumping in with you, that I thought was a very uh, that was a mechanic that I wanted to, that I still would like to see more of, even in modern games, because of the convenience. And actually, with some games that there actually is like that, sort of, not exactly. Um, like Sea of Thieves, for example, is very easy, drop in, drop out type of gameplay um it, but it, it's also nice cuz it doesn't it doesn't really ruin your gameplay that much because for one it's easy but for two it's like oh i'm going to jump into this real quick play for with you for a couple hours then i'm jumping out and it's like well i'm here doing you know a 12 hour marathon stream of like of star wars hmm. um you know i don't i don't have to so I, i'm curious though is it just couch co-op only right now
3: uh, I haven't checked the online settings, but as far okay. as I know, I, yeah, I don't know.
1: I couldn't tell you. I mean, as that... far as I'm aware, it's only couch.
3: Well,
0: that's that's something we can definitely arrange and possibly make happen as a as a future idea for for a possible you know casual filth stream playing <laughs> playing Lego Star Wars, having a having long philosophical discussions while playing a playing a Lego Star Wars game. That could actually be a thing, huh?
3: That could oh, be relaxing enough game, it's easy enough to play while thinking out loud.
1: <laughs> uh, I I will suggest this to, to you guys. Subnautica does have a multiplayer mod. And that could be a lot of fun.
0: Doesn't that one require VR though?
1: No. You oh. can play with it with the VR.
0: Okay. And yeah, we'll, um, we'll definitely look, look at that. Just, yeah, I mean, I've still been meaning to get into Northgard, and, and I definitely want to uh, to eventually get to that. Actually, what I've been playing, though, a lot of lately is uh, Guild Wars 2. Um, I uh, I feel like I should have gotten into that a lot sooner because I've been blown away by the just the mechanics of that game. Are impressed. They're very. It's actually funny. It's kind of similar to how simplistic Lego Star Wars is. Guild Wars is kind of like a couple of just a couple of steps above that, especially being an MMO. I'm very surprised at how easy it is to pick up and learn. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have played Guild Wars at all. Uh,
1: not yet. No. I did back in the day. I'm not sure how much it's changed over the years, though.
0: <laughs> well, and. I- I also like that all I have to do is buy the game, and that's that. There's no subscription. There's no. Uh, there's no pay-to-win aspect to it. There's no pay-for-convenience aspect to it either. It, it's all mostly seems like cosmetics and, and mounts and stuff, which I think is a good way to do a game. That's the whole reason I love Star Trek is because I bought a lifetime subscription back in the day, so I get you know a little extra store coin. Um, but I don't have to pay anything. I can enjoy that game without having to do it. And that was one of the reasons I bought Guild Wars, was because I I don't need a sub right now. So, um, was there anything you guys are also playing right now, or that you want to talk
1: about? Yeah, I'm. Dune Spice Wars has uh, come out of uh, is now in early access, and it is, um, I guess, the best way to put it is if you were looking for. An experience like the old school Dune RTS, but modernized so that it, it works and it it feels like a you know the RTS we've been clamoring for in the RTS community for the last while. This is it. They've done it. They have brought it back. Okay. Uh,
3: what kind of? How do you play that one?
1: Uh, over Steam. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, it feels like you're. There's a lot of aspects of city building, um, and, you know, and, and, like army creation and trying to do it in such a way to create your army that it doesn't really get noticed by the opponent, uh, by the opposing players, uh, a lot of unit choice, even for early access. Um, and you know, your nobles have a fairly, from the looks of things so far anyway, have a fairly heavy effect on what your army will do. I could 100% see multiple play styles by focusing on multiple nobles to get different results.
3: That sounds awesome. Yeah.
1: Like, I could 100% see an Atreides playthrough where you're primarily focused on, like, Gurney and it being a very different army than, say, if you were focused on Paul.
3: Mm-hmm that's
0: so, really different scenarios cool. scenarios within the the original story that you can play out or, or like kind of like yeah, I think you said it all. They haven't the
1: released Yeah, they haven't released any of the story elements yet. Mm-hmm. So I haven't played through the campaign. Okay. Um so far it's just been the the kind of RTS, you know, one-on-one kind of play or, you know, whatever versus, you know, whatever you want versus AIs or uh, I, bel- I haven't tried the multiplayer yet. I don't know if it's functional yet, but I suspect it's, you know, it, it's going to become a big multiplayer scene. Mm. Well, all
0: right. That's, that's, that's good to know. All right. Well, approaching the end of our stream here, uh, we've only got a, a few minutes left. Uh, Cory, why don't you go ahead and take it real quick? Um... Uh, just a couple minutes to plug your stream. I got, I got your channel up on the background for you in the next screen. And why don't you tell us what it's about, what you're going to do, what you want to do and, and what, what just a little, uh,
1: absolutely. Little so, so I've started my own ch- uh, channel. What, uh, what's going on with it is, uh, well, I'm, you know, YouTube's completely unofficial, uh, which in residence I'm, I'm talking about, Everything from being a witch in the modern world, society, politics, all religions are welcome, pop culture. I give you my perspective on modern myths and compare them to classic mythological stories. Um, You know, I, I might even decide, depending upon how, you know, what kind of response I get. I might decide to tell my story about how I came into craft and and what influenced that. I might even decide to do things like talk about in general, like how to, you know, find a, a teacher, if that is what you're interested in and what the different communities in the world look like, because this, the Wicca scene in Toronto is vastly different than a lot of the other places in the world. And I've experienced all of them, and I would love to give you guys uh, a brief tour of the world that is, you know, just slightly underneath the, uh, the world you might see in the everyday. So definitely feel free to come over. Uh, I've got a little bit of a, uh, my first video is up, it's uh, dealing with a, a kind of an interesting metaphor to explore the modern world, and uh, yeah, I'd love to see you guys all there.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I, I definitely, you know, I have my own personal beliefs on the world, and, and certainly a lot of that's influenced by my upbringing. But uh, you know, the thing about our channel, and we'll probably discuss this after the show a little bit, is like I said, we're about restoring respect into discourse. Um, not necessarily just even in the time right now where people think that Twitter is real life, but also with just even all throughout human history, there, there's been this misguided and misplaced idea that just because someone doesn't agree with you, you have to kill them. Now, if you're in a position of power trying to achieve things, trying to enslave humanity, of course that's what you want. Uh, But we don't want that. We are about independently-minded, free thinkers deciding for themselves. And since you are bringing a very unique perspective that I am mostly unfamiliar with, that's what we're about promoting on this channel is the ideas. Because you don't have to... we're not putting this out there to say that you have to follow Carrion as an example. And of course, our uh, next up plug. If you don't want to listen, that's fine. Um, where I draw the line, though, is you don't get to decide whether or not Carrion is correct. It's not my place to tell Carrion is wrong. It's not my place to tell Johnny is wrong. It's not, it's not anyone's place to tell each other that we're wrong. Unless, you know, we're like actually eating babies. That might be a problem. Um,
1: yeah, that, 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 that I think we can all universally agree. No good.
0: See, and that's that's just it. With a lot of the preconceived notions of, of Wicca and, and a lot of the past rituals, it, it, again, if you're not comfortable with it, that's okay. We're not going to force the issue. However, we're also not going to stifle anybody in the process either. That is wrong. I do not care what your ideology is. Silencing someone's voice because you don't agree or because you think you're correct is never okay. And that's part of what we want to end on this show. And that's why you know we come from a couple of different backgrounds and we've had our various histories in life that will probably eventually be known anyway. But I'm not interested in making my perspective correct. I'm interested in just sharing what I feel is correct and I'm interested in pursuing what is right. And what is right... And being right, very rarely do they actually align. Most of the time, our, our preconceptions are very incorrect. But it sounds like you got a thought. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I I was gonna say I think the the number one thing that I will say is that Wicca is right for me. Just as you know, uh, the the various you know both of you have beliefs that are right for you, and that's the important thing. I would never say. That my my belief system is right for everybody. In fact, I would actively say that it's a hard road to to hoe, um, and it, it it's very different than what most people are exposed to. So, I would encourage if you come to my channel and you watch it, take the questions that I'm asking, take the the things I'm showing you, and form your own opinions on it. Please. I would love to hear those opinions, and I would love for the the friendly, reasonable, but impassioned discourse between members of any belief system to be able to sit down and discuss them like rational and reasonable people, and maybe, who knows, maybe we all learn something from that, and that would be a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, I've had a lot of my perspectives shaped and changed for the simple fact that I listened, because... That that's really the, the real basis of, of understanding and, and enlightenment is is to just listen, okay? I, unless somebody is trying to force you into something, unless somebody is, is like actively beating their ideas into your head, they're just ideas. You can walk away at any time. You can go live your life freely. You know, I'm not about like I said, I'm not about forcing my opinions on people, and I certainly wouldn't wouldn't want anyone to feel that uncomfortable, but this is the thing. There are 7 billion unique personalities out there. Now, I know it doesn't seem like it in times, and I know there's certain aspects of the world that we think that, oh, well, you know, look at all these people living in this area. They all do the same thing. Well, for one, they're allowed to do that, and for two, just because they're doing the same thing now doesn't mean they're always going to do the same thing, Um, but that's a philosophical discussion for another time I do have one last uh, plug that I need to do before we jump off of the air but I gotta set up a little bit for it uh, just to make sure that everyone can see
3: while he's setting up I do recommend you go check out Karyon's channel and I do recommend you listen for a while he's got a sweet soothing voice and uh, his opinions yeah. are fun. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just his... put a
0: little put a little disclaimer out there. There's only one video right now. You know, so I mean, a while is you put the same video on repeat. That's probably not going to work. So there will I'm probably be. I'm talking to arg- the there people that are watching this in the and future, stuff. and I, I do hope that eventually, if you do get to streaming, that we can have those philosophical stuff. Because I am not opposed to uh, sharing my beliefs. That you know, in in the right situation
1: um absolutely my my plan is i want to bring on um people who are most definitely not an echo chamber of me to to discuss on the channel i'd love to have you both on
3: yeah i would absolutely that would be amazing definitely, definitely
0: make that happen but uh turning real quick to uh to our last plug uh some of our friends, uh, we've talked about them before. We'll plug them now because they're going to be streaming literally 30 minutes after we finish. Uh, Super Game Craft. They are a video game-centric channel. They post Ah... Two words happening at the same time. It never works. Uh, They mostly focus on games and gaming news. They have a podcast every Sunday at the same time. But you can also check it out anytime on their channel, twitch.tv slash supergamecraft. They are also on Spotify, just as we are. And you can uh, check out their past broadcasts, check out their upcoming broadcasts. Tonight, they're going to be doing a special MMO stream and uh yeah just gonna be playing feel free please after this show to go hang out with them for a few minutes or a few hours they're pretty open-minded they're a lot more loose with language than we are here on this specific show um which you know to each their own on that If you're not comfortable with with language that's why we try to cater to that because we do want to create a, a. a lot of people i've seen other streamers do and how they want to do their channel is their business but it is uh they uh, they do market themselves as soft R, just a heads up. Whereas we do try to be PG thirteen, and uh, just keep that in mind. But a lot of good people, lots of good friends of mine, people that I hang out with, and I do have a lot of in depth philosophical discussions with them too. So it's not you know just sitting there watching guys people play video games. They do get into stuff for a good while. Um other than Wait
1: that, a minute. We're Pd thirteen. We get one curse word per stream. Ooh. No, 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 no.
0: We oh, get got, one F we're, word per stream. We're hard thirteen, is what I put. It. We get one <laughs> F bomb per stream. If if ah. we feel we need to use it. Otherwise, I'm. We've gone a couple streams without saying it, and I'm very proud of all of you for that. But no, I I, I don't care if you want to say shit every. Well, don't do that. But if, you know, if you say <laughs> shit or ass or whatever, I, you know, those words have been all around forever. Most people say that. In my. And their daily lives, anyway. Um, but I, I do like, I, I do like that we kind of stay away from stringing every other word with an F bomb. I, I was in the military. I, I spoke that language for a while. I'm good to relax and, and have a little self control in my life somewhere. So
2: <laughs> that's
1: absolutely fair though I feel like now we need a counter that it has been so many streams since we've dropped an F-bomb that could be fun
0: it could be fun it doesn't mean that it's going to be one that we build up and we just make up for lost time though <laughs> the rule is still <laughs> there i through right, whole
3: episode to- devoted to it and I'll just quote Boondock Saint.
0: yeah we are coming to French the end of the line here though um, I do want to say thank you to everyone who watched <laughs> to anyone listening please feel free to join us we are now on Tuesday night's my name is Pete York with the Ryder Brothers. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody.